Um, as many of you know, uh, Christina, my wife, is expecting any time now. Um, in fact, her due date is Tuesday, which means at any moment it could, it could happen. Um, and so it's been kind of uh, nerve-wracking this past week. You know, any motion, any sensation, I feel like, you know, is it time to call Wade to guest preach? Um, so, you know, because uh, the due date is Tuesday, and so obviously it's going to happen sometime soon, um, I'm going to be taking a paternity leave. I'm going to be taking a break. But I'm going to leave the pulpit in the capable hands of Wade and Sean, and so they'll be preaching for the next four weeks. And so uh, I really want to ask you guys to pray for Christina and me um, because, you know, when it comes to parenting, it's like amateur hour. <laughs> and so um, pray that I don't do something too horrendous, scarring to the child. <laughs> All right, so let's turn with that cheerful thought. Let's turn to uh, the teaching text today, which comes from Genesis chapter 32. It's in your bulletins on page four. All right, starting in verse 22. That same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and you and have prevailed. Then God asked, then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But the man said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have for I've seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of God. So here we come to what is undeniably the most famous story in the life of Jacob. This is really the culmination of everything that we've been looking at these past several weeks. This is the climax of the story, where all the themes in Jacob's life converge. And because of that, this is the turning point in Jacob's life. You see, until this moment, Jacob has been living really only for himself, selfishly, not at all mindful of God. But then he wrestles with God all through the night. And because of that experience, Jacob is utterly transformed. He goes away a new man. And more than this, this story is a guide for us. It's a guide for showing us what does a true spiritual encounter with God look like. You know, what what is that? What are the components of that? How do we know we've met God? What happens to us when God enters into our lives? 
So that's the question. So we're going to look at that and we're going to look at the story in four parts. And the first thing we're going to see is that uh, Jacob encounters God and it's a violent encounter. The second thing we see is that Jacob realizes this is the meaning of his life. And then the third thing we see is victory through weakness. What does that mean? What does that mean? And then finally, we're going to see that Jacob comes away with a new identity. All right, so number one, we see that this is a violent encounter. Now, in order for us to appreciate what's going on, we need to know a little bit of the backstory. Last week, we looked at this. Jacob has been staying with his uncle Laban for 20 years. And then God comes to him and says, go to the land of your fathers. And so Jacob picks up everything he has. He has a huge family. He has lots of flocks. He's relatively rich, and so he's headed towards the promised land, but waiting for him is Esau, his older brother Esau, whom he has grievously wronged so many years ago. And so he sends a messenger to Esau because he's seeking reconciliation. He wants to make peace with his brother. But then the messenger comes back and he says, your brother Esau is coming out to meet you himself, and with him are 400 men. And so Jacob naturally assumes that time has not healed the wounds, that Esau is still enraged and he's coming with this small army to wipe Jacob off the face of the earth. And so Jacob is terrified. And then what happens is something astonishing, something we've never seen Jacob do. He gets on his knees and he begins to pray. And it's a really beautiful prayer. It's full of the majesty of God, full of of the humility of Jacob. And we began to see in Jacob the transformation. We're beginning to see Jacob seeking God. And not only that, but Jacob doesn't turn around and run. Right? Facing him is, is, is surely death, but Jacob decides to obey God no matter what the consequences And so we see then, we come to this point in the story, this is the night before Esau is about to reach him. And so Jacob sends his family across the river because he wants to be alone. And why does he want to be alone? Because he wants time to think and to pray. He wants to meditate. You know, what has brought him to this point in his life? And so we see Jacob for the very first time, really, where he's seeking God. And what happens? How does God respond? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, God jumps on Jacob. And God slams Jacob to the ground, and he puts Jacob in a headlock. And it's this life and death struggle. It's such a violent encounter that Jacob is crippled. For the rest of his life, he has to limp, right? And I want you to imagine this in your minds, that here is Jacob. He's on his knees. He's praying to God for, for protection and for strength. And God responds by attacking, physically assaulting Jacob. What do we learn from this? You see, very often, God comes to us and he violently grabs a hold of us. He slams us to the ground. He inflicts pain on us and he puts us into absolute agony. Why? Because you see, very often, that is the only way that God can reach us. Um, I've shared this story before with you. My sister, just this past year, became a Christian. And uh, 
you have to understand that it's really amazing because, you know, for years I've been sharing the gospel with my sister. For years I've been begging her to go to church. I've been giving her sermons. I've been giving her Christian books. And, you know, of course she would politely listen to me. She would go to church on occasion, but no impact. You know, nothing penetrated. Until finally, a few years after college, she went back to L.A., And she was looking for a job and she was fairly confident that she would get it because, you know, she graduated from a pretty good school. She had a great working resume and she thought, no problem, easy, in a few weeks I'll find a job. But what happened is, not only was my sister not able to get a job, but she couldn't even get a single interview. And the plan was that she was going to stay with her friend for a few weeks um, and, you know, because she thought as soon as she gets a job, she'll get her own place. But then the weeks stretched into the months. And still no job. And so my sister, you know, was kind of in a desperate situation. She she had outstayed her welcome. And my mom's friend very generously said, why don't you come and stay with me? And, And you have to understand that my sister didn't really know this person very well. So she was staying at this home and it was so awkward, you know. And on occasion, this woman would say to my sister, you know, so, um, how is that job hunt coming along? And it was her subtle way, and maybe not so subtle, of saying, when are you going to leave my house? When are you going to get out of my hair? And, you know, my sister felt awful, awful, because what could she say? Nothing. Job hunt is going nowhere. And because she had no money, you know, she had to get a car, and she got this really awful, used, beat-up Saturn with no air conditioning. This was, by the way, the summer in L.A., and it was just hot, sweltering. She would be driving around looking for a job, sweating like crazy. The car would break down seriously every week. And my sister was just in agony. And that summer, she became a Christian. You know, I'd given her a book, a Christian book, and she was reading through the book, you know, because she had a lot of time on her hands. And she realized that summer that whatever her foundation was, Whatever it was that she was depending on, it didn't give her the ability to cope with what was going on. Her life was falling apart and she realized the poverty of her life. And she realized that she needed God. She needed to know Christ. You see, we are so dense, are we not? We're so dense, we're so oblivious because we're just gliding through life and, and, and we don't... You know, we're, we're not sensitive to God. We're not awake to God's reality unless God grabs a hold of us, violently throws us to the ground and inflicts pain on us. Not because God is trying to harm us, not because God is trying to hurt us, because, but because He is trying to wake us up. He's trying to slap us in the face so that we could be alive to who He is. So that's the first point. It's a violent encounter. And then the second thing we see is the meaning of Jacob's life. And here everything comes together and all the lines in Jacob's life converge. And in order for us to appreciate what's going on, you need to realize that there's a word play going on throughout the story. And of course, we're reading this in the English, so we don't really see it, but in the Hebrew, it's quite pronounced. You need to know that the name Jacob and then the word wrestle in Hebrew are virtually the same word, right? They both come from the same Hebrew root word. Because Jacob means to grasp. Jacob means to wrestle. And really, it's such a fitting name because that is what Jacob has been doing all of his life. He's been wrestling, right? Remember, even in the womb, he was wrestling with Esau for supremacy. That's why... 
when she was born, they named him Jacob because he was grasping Esau. And he was wrestling with Esau for the firstborn blessing. Do you remember the story? When Isaac, the father, he loved Esau. He doted on and treasured Esau so overtly. And that was just so incredibly wounding on Jacob, right? Because he didn't love Jacob and he left Jacob empty. And then, Esau, I mean, Isaac, near the end of his life, he's blind and he wants to give the firstborn blessing. And Jacob realizes this is the opportunity. This is my chance. And so he dresses up like Esau. He sneaks in. And he deceives his father and pretends to be Esau and he steals the firstborn blessing. And everything falls apart. And you know, when we read this and we looked at the story, right, we wonder why would Jacob do this? Doesn't Jacob realize, of course he knows, that he's not going to get away with this. His father, Esau, everyone's going to find out just a few minutes later. And so what was Jacob thinking? I'll tell you why Jacob did it. Because you see, he wanted to hear from Isaac, his father, the words of love and affirmation that he had never heard his father say to him, ever. So that when Isaac was giving the blessing and when Isaac was saying, you know, you are my beloved son, you are my treasured son in whom I'm so proud, I'm so pleased, Jacob was just kneeling there before his father and he was just soaking in the words because he was looking for the blessing. You see, we all need a word from the outside. That's what a blessing is. We all need someone to affirm our dignity, our value, and our worth. And if we don't get it from our parents, we try to get it from academic accomplishments. We try to get it from our careers. We try to get it from our friends, right? There's nothing so affirming as when, you know, friends that you admire say, Hey, why don't you be with us? Why don't you join us? And so Jacob, even though he tried to steal the blessing, he, he didn't get what he was looking for from his father. And so he has to run away, and he goes to Haran, and in Haran, he meets Rachel. Beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous Rachel. And Jacob says, it's Rachel. If only I have Rachel, then my life will be good. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll have the blessing. But you know how the story goes. We looked at this, right? Even though Jacob gets Rachel in the end, what happens? Devastation. The whole family is, 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 is sent into turmoil and there's agony and there's pain and there's just tragedy and Jacob doesn't find what he's looking for. He's still restless. And then in the next episode, we looked at this last week, Jacob says, I need to get wealthy. And so he begins to wrestle with Laban, right? He's looking... For that blessing. And so that's Jacob's life. He's been wrestling with Esau. He's been wrestling with Rachel. He's been wrestling with Laban. And then in the middle of the night, someone jumps on Jacob. And he begins to wrestle with Jacob. Wrestle all through the night. What is this story telling us? Here's what it's telling us. The man is saying to Jacob, 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 don't you realize that all of your life I'm the one you've been really wrestling with. Behind Laban, behind Rachel, it's been me. I'm the one you've been wrestling with. Now, who is this man? The story gives us three clues. And so, this is very important, so we need to take a look at it. Okay, number one, verse 25, very mysterious verse. Look at it. It says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, I want you to notice that word touched. That is an accurate translation. Actually, in the Hebrew, it means the slightest touch, meaning that the man didn't, you know, smash a rock on Jacob's hip. You know, the man didn't pound on Jacob's hip with all of his might, but as they were wrestling, Jacob saw the man reach out and just, boop, touched. And all of a sudden, Jacob's leg was wrenched out of his socket. He felt agonizing pain and he was paralyzed. And suddenly, Jacob realized this is no mere man, but this is supernatural power being held back. So that's the first hint. The second thing is the man says, let me go for the day is breaking. Let me go for the dawn is coming. Now, why would the man say this? Remember that Jacob and the man are wrestling through the night and in a world without electricity, this is pitch dark. And so Jacob can't make out the face of his assailant. Why is that important? Okay, It's very critical because you see the Bible tells us all throughout that no man can see the face of God and live. And we know that this is the right interpretation because if you look at the very end, Jacob names the place Peniel, which means the face of God. You see, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, I thought Jacob didn't see his face. Well, I think what's going on here is that as the dawn was approaching, Jacob just began to see the faintest outlines of the man's face before he turned and vanished. And so Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. So that's the second hint. The third clue is... Jacob says, what is your name? Says to, the, says to the man, what is your name? Now, you have to understand, in the ancient world, the name was more than just a name. The name signified character, identity. And so what Jacob is asking is, what is your name? He's saying, are you God? Are you God? And what does the man say? The man says, why do you ask my name? Now, The commentators look at this and they say that what the man is really saying is, Jacob, don't you know who I am by now? Do you even need to ask? Do you even need to ask? Now, let's put these three clues together. What is this story telling us? This story is telling us that the man is God. That Jacob is wrestling with God. And when Jacob realizes that it's God... Everything changes and his whole life turns around. And this is the turning point. You see, the dawn is coming. And Jacob realizes that if he stays with the man, he will surely die, right? Because Jacob knows that he's a sinful man and this is a holy and righteous God. And so Jacob knows that you know, he has to get away. And, but you notice that he doesn't fight God to get away, to break free. But Jacob switches and now he's fighting to hang on. He's fighting to cling on. Rather than saying, you must let me go, Jacob says to God, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. Why does Jacob do this? Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. You know, when I read that, it just sends, you know, chills down my back because when Jacob says that, you have to understand... All the lines in Jacob's life are converging. 
the whole story of Jacob's life is coming together at this moment. You see, what Jacob is saying is, God, you are the one. You are the blessing that I've been looking for all of my life. Jacob is saying, I have been such a fool. I have been, you know, I've been such an idiot. I've been so wrong. I was looking to Isaac for the firstborn blessing, but you are the ultimate blessing. I was looking to Rachel for beauty, but you are the true beauty of my life. I was looking to Laban for wealth, but you are the real riches in this life. And the man says, let me go. The dawn is coming. Don't you realize you're going to die? And Jacob says, I don't care whether I live or die, because unless I have you, unless I have your blessing, I don't have anything. And what was this blessing? You know, what did God say? We're not told, but almost certainly it went something like this. God said, Jacob, I love you. Jacob, you are my beloved son. I'm so pleased with you. You are my heart's delight. And when Jacob heard that, when he heard the blessing from God, he became utterly transformed. You see, Jacob wasn't just using God to get to what he really wanted in life. He wasn't just... God was no longer a means to the end, but God was now the ends. And unless we understand this, unless we approach God in the same way, we haven't really encountered God. Now, some of us say, so many of us say, you know, I believe in God, I pray to God, but, but, unless God gives me a spouse, unless God gives me a career, unless God gives me good health, Unless God gives me the life that I want, I cannot be happy. I won't be happy. If you say that, whatever that is, that is your real God. And you're just using God to get to what you really want in life. And you haven't really encountered God. Christina had this friend in college um, who was not a Christian, and her friend suffered from depression. You know, she was constantly feeling melancholy, constantly feeling low. And so Christina would try to evangelize to her friend, and she would say to her, the ultimate reason why you're so empty and so unhappy is because you're distant from God. You need to know God in Christ. And so her friend said, okay, you know what, you've been saying this to me for quite some time now. I tell you what, I'll do what you say. Why don't we read the Bible together? And so they started to read the Bible together. They started to you know, study and discuss every day until one day, about a week later, her friend said, you know what, it's not working. You said that it's going to solve my depression, but it's not working, so she quit. You see, the friend was not really seeking God. She was using God to get what she really wanted, which was she wanted to solve the problem of depression. Let me share with you another story. I know this uh, person, a friend, who goes to church quite regularly. She's quite religious. She goes to morning prayers all the time, right? Pre-dawn, early morning prayers. And the thing you need to know is that she has constant financial troubles. She has, you know, financial difficulties. And so she prays about these things. And it's a little bit hard for me to, you know, completely judge uh, the motives because I only God knows the heart. I don't know the heart. So take that, you know, uh, as a caveat. But it seems to me that when I see my friend, when I see this person, because she's so discontent, she's so constantly unhappy, 
that when she's praying, and she's going so regularly every morning, she's not praying to get near to God. She's not praying for God. She's just praying and using God to get to what she really wants, which is money, which is financial security. You see, how do you know that you've encountered God? When you're no longer using God to get to what you really want, but what you really want is God himself. What you really want is God. Not for the good things that he can give you, even though those are good things. We should pray for them, by the way. But whether or not God gives them to you, whether or not you're rich or poor, whether you're married or single, whether you're in good health or in poor health, you say, It doesn't matter as long as I have you, as long as I have your blessing. All right, so that's the second point. In this story, we see Jacob seeking the blessing in God. All right, so that's the third point is we see victory through weakness. All right, this is a wrestling match. So who won? This is one of the most amazing aspects of the story. Did God win the match? Or did Jacob win the match? Hmm? If you look at the story, and what the story tells us is that they both won. But that they both won only through weakness. They both won only by losing. And this is the meaning of the Christian life. This is the essence of the gospel. Alright, so let's take, let's take a look at this uh, one part at a time. Number one, Jacob won the match. How do we know this? Well, God says in verse 28, he says, you have striven with God and with man and you have prevailed. You have overcome. You won, Jacob. And Jacob gets the blessing, but only through weakness. You see, God asks, God asks Jacob, what is your name? And remember now, the name signifies your identity, your character. So when God says, what is your name? God is saying, Jacob, who are you? What is your character? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And you have to understand that in the Hebrew, the name Jacob means to grasp and to wrestle, but there's a secondary meaning. And it's a kind of metaphor. To grasp also means to deceive. And so Jacob means wrestler, but Jacob also means deceiver. And this comes into play in the story of the stolen blessing when uh, Esau finds out it's Jacob. Do you know what Esau says? He says, is he not rightly named Jacob? Because he has cheated and stolen from me. And so when God says, Jacob, who are you? Jacob says, I'm Jacob. It's a confession. He's saying, I am this conniving deceiving con artist. All my life I have been scheming. And Jacob is saying, I am a wretched, sinful man. Woe is me. And God says, you're absolutely right. And he blesses Jacob. Now, Jacob won, but only through his weakness, only by admitting his weakness. And this is the deep, profound mystery of the Christian life, that only when we are weak are we strong in God. Only when we admit our failures are we accepted by God. Why? Why? Hold that thought. This leads us to our second point, which is that God wins the match. Now, where do we see that? Well, God gets to give the blessing that he wants to give. God gets a transformed life. God gets Jacob. 
but only through weakness. You see, this is one of the most strangest verses in the entire Bible. Verse um, 25, where it says, The man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He could not overcome Jacob. Wait a minute. Isn't this God? Isn't this the infinite, almighty creator of the universe who with the slightest touch ripped Jacob's leg out of his socket and he could not overcome Jacob? The only way that we can understand this is to realize that God was voluntarily making himself weak. You see, when I was a kid, um, I used to wrestle with my sister. (laughs) And the thing you need to know is that my sister is seven years younger than me. And so, of course, I am far superior and stronger and, and, and bigger than my sister. And so if I were to put in all of my effort, if I were to throw my full weight into the wrestling, I would crush her. Right? I would seriously harm her. And so the only way that I could make it relatively fair, the only way that I could make it fun for the both of us is I would deliberately hold myself back. Right? We all do this. You know, sometimes I would lay down on the ground and I would sort of wrestle with my sister with only my arms, but she could use her full weight. And I think that something like that is what is going on in our story. God deliberately made himself weak so that he would not overcome Jacob. Because if God came in all his full splendor and glory, he would absolutely incinerate Jacob. He would win the match, but he would lose Jacob. But if God came in weakness... God could have what he wants. And what he wants is a transformed life. He wants Jacob repentant and broken. You see, God triumphed only by being weak. God won only by losing. And this points us forward to the ultimate place where God won by losing. Where God triumphed through weakness. And that is the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ the ultimate God-man became weak. On the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of God's justice and glory. On the cross, Jesus clung on. He held on to God until God gave the blessing for us. You see, the only reason why Jacob, and we are here receiving the, the blessing through Jacob, the only reason why Jacob could receive the blessing, even though he deserved the curse, is because Jesus received the curse even though he deserved the blessing. And that is the gospel. You see, the gospel is that Jesus Christ received the curse in our place so that we could receive the blessing for his sake. And because of that, God can embrace us and God can say over us, you are my beloved child. I'm so pleased with you. My heart delights over you. So that's the blessing. So that's the victory through weakness. And the fourth and final point, and this will go relatively quickly, Jacob receives a new identity. Now remember, the name signifies what? Character and identity. God says to Jacob, you are no longer to be named Jacob, but from now on, your name shall be Israel. Israel. You see, the name Jacob means to wrestle, right? And that's what Jacob's been doing. He's been wrestling with the world only for his selfish desires. But God says, from now on, you are Israel, which means one who has wrestled with God. What does that tell us? 
It tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that when you encounter God, when God comes into your life, you cannot remain the same. You have to experience a change in your heart and in your, in your character. Other people have to be able to say, there's something different about you. There's a peace, there's a joy that I've never seen before. And unless you experience that change, you haven't really encountered God. You may know about God, you may know of God, but you don't know God. You don't know God unless you experience that change. And the second thing this shows us is that Jacob received a new mission and a new purpose in life. You know what's so amazing about this, this naming? God says, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. And the thing is, the wrestling stays the same in both. You see, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, you are someone who wrestles. You know, you're someone full of activity, full of energy, and you're always constantly thinking, you're always constantly strategizing, but now you're no longer to do this for yourself, but you are to do this for the glory of God. You see, I think what's so amazing about this story is that when you become a Christian, when you encounter God, God doesn't obliterate your personality. But God takes your personality and God takes your life story and he transforms it for his glory. And what does that mean practically? Here's what it means. It means that when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you have to quit your job and become a missionary. Some of you may be. But for the big majority of us, we are to keep our jobs, but God is going to use our gifts, God's going to use our talents for his glory. And some of you are saying, well, what does that mean practically? You know, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's discovering how we can use our talents and our gifts, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God because of this new identity that we have in Christ. All right, so that's the message. Here's the summary. What do we learn from this story? We learn, number one, that when Jacob meets God, it's a violent encounter. Number two, that when Jacob meets God, he realizes that God is the blessing he's been seeking all his, all his life. Number three, he realizes that the only reason why he's able to get the blessing is because God came in weakness. And then finally, number four, Jacob gets a new identity, a radical new purpose in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and we confess to you that we need you. We need to encounter you, whether for the first time or continually as we've walked with you through the years. And Lord, make us to see that you are the blessing that we seek. Make us to see that you are what we ultimately not want, not the good things that you can give us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to us and shine your face upon us and be present in our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.